0: Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, is where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we have people who would love to get a Bible into your hands they are coming down the aisles right now. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, shoot your hand up and grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. And turn to Luke, Luke chapter 10, is where we're gonna be this morning, starting in verse 25. As you're turning there, it was uh, 1982, and maybe you've heard this story, a guy by the name of Larry Walters, he tied 45 helium-filled weather balloons to his lawn chair. He grabbed some essential supplies, sandwiches, beer, He grabbed a pellet gun because he wanted to shoot out the balloons to be able to land it. He grabbed a a CB radio and and he asked his buddies when it was all filled up sitting in his lawn chair, he says, hey, cut the rope tied to the Jeep because I'm going to slowly lift up in the air. What he didn't realize is because he wasn't a physicist or at all bright, as you can imagine, when they cut the rope, he shot up like a rocket and went up to to 16,000 feet into the air. Okay, uh, uh, after he hits that time, he, he, he began to dig into his essential gear that he brought with him, and he drank six beer right there, right? Because <laughs> he, he was so scared. He, he couldn't shoot the balloons because he was so scared. If I shoot them, it might tip the lawn chair, and I might fall out. And being that he was half cut by now, that would for sure happen, right? And eventually, he floats into the flight path of the Long Beach Airport, Imagine being a pilot, you're landing a plane, and you see a drunk dude in a lawn chair five kilometers in the air. <laughs> Eventually, he lands the thing, he gets tangled around some power lines, he knocks out all the power in Long Beach area. He's, he's asked this, he says, Hey, 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 Larry, reporters are talking to him, Larry, why would you do this? And he said, I just got tired of always sitting around. I mean, isn't there something in that? There's something, I just got tired and always sitting around. Something in that that, that I think of, most of us here could resonate with that a little bit, could we not? Maybe you're in, in school, you're in high school or you're in college and, and you're looking forward to what, what what your plans for your life are. And as you look forward, you're like, man, I just want something more. I man, I look around and I, I don't wanna go after what everybody else has gone after. I, I'm hoping for something more. Or maybe you're older and Recently, you began to to look at your life and you're you're thinking, man, I want to do life differently. I want to leverage the time that God's given me to to live this life, the time that I've got left. I want to leverage that so that my life will count for eternity. And and so we start to ask these questions well, how? How do I use my gifts? How do I use my resources? How How do I use the place where God's put me to live? How do I leverage all those for God's kingdom? For eternal purposes. Well, the verses we're going to unpack this morning point so clearly to, to what I hope we as a church here in Muskoka and in Parry Sound, I hope that, that as we live our lives on mission at, to Muskoka, to Parry Sound, to the world, to wherever you've come from, wherever you live, that these verses would, would fuel what our lives would look like. If, if God gives me another 10 years here at Harvest, this is what I want to spend my life doing. I want to be shoulder to shoulder with all of you. I want to be, our arms linked together as we love people around us and show them Jesus Christ. In fact, you've heard me say over and over again: I have no desire to be part of a church that's all about huddling up and hiding out and just waiting for Jesus to come back. Because here's the thing: if we're doing that, if we're just hiding out here all the time, and Jesus does return, I can imagine him knocking on the doors in the back, coming in and going, "Hey, why are you guys all here?" I've been looking everywhere for you. I've been all over your community to the places that I would go and thinking that's where you would be and you weren't there. This whole series we've been in has been focusing our attention on what God would have for us as a church moving forward. A church that, that soon, Lord willing, soon will have three campuses. A church that will be all about Jesus. A church devoted to each other. A church desperate in prayer. And last Sunday, I said that as we look to launch this new campus in Huntsville, as we look to to finish up the the building we got just miraculously in Perry Sound, as we look to, to raise funds to see what God would build here as a permanent home for us here in Bracebridge, for that to happen, there are some practical things that each of us are going to need to do. And I said, let's set aside this summer to pray and to fast about what this would look like. Not pray and fast of if we should do these things, but how. First, first request I made last Sunday was this, that we would pray and fast about how will I be invested in this financially? God, would you raise up joyful, sacrificial giving in my heart to be invested in what God has for us moving forward as we launch another campus? It's a $1.2 million cost and, and more money in years to come for what it looks like to have something here in Bracebridge. And, and here's what I'm not asking us to invest in. It's not about making life more comfortable for us. It's not like, well, we need a, a place where we, we better have the most comfortable chairs. We better have the, uh, the best looking carpet. We better have the night. No, no. Here, here's what we've been saying all along is the group that's, that's been serving and volunteering to make sure this thing goes out well. The words we keep using over and over again are this, that it would be simple and functional. That's what, that's it. That's what we want. We want a place that's simple and functional for the gospel to go out. If it was about nice chairs and newer carpet and, and more comfortable surroundings, man, I wouldn't be able to stand up here and ask people to invest. I wouldn't sacrificially give to that. Well, we just want to have a better coffee service in our church. Go buy coffee before you come, right? That's not what we want to invest in. We want to invest sacrificially, what? To see this mission accomplished where the lost are saved, the saved are matured, and the matured are multiplied. All across Muskoka, all across Parry Sound, to the ends of the earth. It's not about buildings. It's about the mission, the mission we've been called to. And so as Christ followers, we, we've been given a job description by Jesus. He's called us to go. So this morning, I want us to prayerfully take a, a step in another practical way. One, that we would be invested. Secondly, that we would be involved. That we'd be involved in the mission of living out the love of Jesus Christ in our communities we'd be involved in the mission of the gospel to the ends of the earth. With your Bibles open to the book of Luke, here's our first point this morning. It's this, that if we were gonna live this life on mission, if we're gonna be involved in this way, a life on mission is more than just religious duties. A life on mission is more than religious duties. Right, verse 25, it says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him to start, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, talking to Jesus here, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So so here's this lawyer standing up talking to Jesus saying, hey, what's it look like for me to be saved? What's it look like for me to have a relationship with God? Now this guy, as a lawyer, he had Jewish religion covered. He knew it front to back. He knew the law. So Jesus, verse 26, he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, As a good Jew, he would have repeated this, this summary of the law. He knew this hands down. He had this memorized twice a day. He would have repeated this. And so instantly he recites for Jesus, verse 27, and he answered, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your strength, "'with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself.'" I mean, you see where the the law summarizes. It's really been our whole sermon series, hasn't it? It starts out with this, with, hey, it's all about loving God with everything you've got. Your strength, your heart, your soul, your mind, there's a passion to this. There's a, a thought to this. Like our, our knees should be wore out from praying. Our Bibles should be wore out because we're digging into what the Lord has for us. There's this all in, I'm going after this, like strap the balloons to the chair because I'm following God. Now I'm, 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 I got this kind of, I'm, I'm going after this with all I've got. But the second part, not only do we love the Lord our God, it says, and your neighbor as yourself. That, that's what I want us to drill down on this morning. Look what Jesus says to him in verse 28. And he said to him, "You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live." Now now if this lawyer was a humble man, if he truly understood what Jesus was saying to him in that moment, when Jesus says, "Do this, love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love others in the same way," he should have in that moment, dropped to his knees and said, "I can't do that." I can't love God with 100% of everything I've got 100% of the time. I, I'll just fail at that. I, I can't love my neighbor with that kind of reckless abandon where, where I'm gonna meet their needs with the same amount of passion and urgency and, and that I have for myself. Right then he should have said, I know what the law says, but I, I, I can't do that. He should have said, what hope do I have? He should have said, what's the answer? He should have said, Jesus, help me. How can I be saved if that's the standard I need to meet? That's what, when you read through scripture and you read the the commands in scripture, that's what it, part of what it should drive us to. The whole purpose of the moral standards of the law are to point us to the truth that we can't meet the standards of a holy, perfect God. And so what do we do? We fall at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. We experience the gospel. We experience the good news. We, we experience the fact that God says, it's all my grace. Because if the lawyer had done that, Jesus would have turned to him and he would have said to him, he would have said, only the mercy of God, only the grace of God. You want to be saved. Even, even you, a lawyer, even you who's spiritually bankrupt, who can't live up to these standards, Jesus would say to this lawyer, would say to you and me this morning, he would say, listen, I came to live the life you couldn't live. I came to fulfill the law perfectly and then die in your place for the sin you've committed because you couldn't reach this standard. And I, I died for you. And if, if you believe in me, the one who came to live and die and raise again and the one who fulfilled the law so that you don't have to, that, that Jesus would say, my life is now your life when you put your faith in me. I mean, that's our hope today. If you're here this morning and and you don't know Christ, you're kind of doing the religious thing, you're checking church out, that's our only hope, that we humbly surrender ourselves and say, I can't do this. All the works, all the things I try to do, none of that can reach a perfect standard of a holy God. And so in humility, I drop to my knees and say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Listen, that, that's what we say as people before we know Christ. But if you're here as a Christ follower, we continue to say the same thing. We're, it's not about me striving to do more, it's about me resting in God's grace. And out of the abundance of that, I live out my faith. But listen, the lawyer missed it completely. He totally missed the gospel. Look at verse 29. It says, But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Here it says there. He's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make himself look good. Jesus just blew up his weak foundation of of following the law, of doing good works, of making sure you do everything right. He just blew that up, his whole religious self-image. And then he's feeling the weight of that. And because he's feeling the weight of that, he's trying to justify himself rather than rest on Christ. So he says, Who's my neighbor? Now he thinks Jesus is going to say, well, your neighbor, that's your friends, your family, those people you love around you. And, and, and if he had said that, he wants Jesus to say that because then he could say, I've done that too. Not only do I love God, but I love my neighbor. And then people around will go, wow, this lawyer is so good. Right? He, he wants attention showered on him. He wants to justify himself. So, so you can imagine the lawyer talking to Jesus saying, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is about to tell me, goes, oh, just a second, just a second. Hey, cousin Ricky, here's 20 bucks. I know you needed it. Go ahead. I just, I love you, my neighbor. Go ahead, Jesus, tell me again. Who's my, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, hey, Susie, yeah, I love your kids. I mean, they're my nieces and nephews. That's why I babysit them all the time. I love you. Go ahead, Jesus, tell me again. Who's my neighbor? Can you picture it? Jesus begins to tell a story. Jesus tells stories. They're not a grab a blanket and a cup of cocoa and cuddle up and hear a nice story kind of story. Those are the kind of stories Jesus told. Jesus told stories that would punch us in the gut when we heard them. They would blow up our nice little religious ideas. That's why he told these stories. And so he tells this story. Look at verse 30. So Jesus replied, who's your neighbor? Here you go. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho Now, it says he's going down. This is an actual road. You can can read about this road. You can see this road. There's a road. It's about 27 kilometers from Jerusalem to Jericho. It actually does go down. It drops uh, in that time about 120 meters. Extremely steep, dangerous road. Also not a good road to be on because it was known for a place where you'd be mugged if you walked this road. Because it says here, it goes on. It says, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus brings a little hope into the story. You're like, man, that's horrible. What's, this guy's dying on the side of the road. What's gonna happen? Verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Oh, perfect. This guy's gonna be okay. There, there's a priest coming. A servant of God. This is the one who offered sacrifices for the people. He, he, he lifted the people up before God. He, he was supposed to be one of the godliest, righteous people. There's hope. Right away, our hope is dashed. Look as verse 31 goes on. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He, he actually turned away from him so he wouldn't have to see him, walked in the other direction to try to go as far away from this guy as he could. Remember, this is a story about loving your neighbor. And what do we see here? This, this priest had no love for this guy. Remember the question at the start of the story is, who is my neighbor? And here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, listen, listen, it's not about who deserves your love. It's not about who's the neighbor that I have to love. Jesus turns it all around now. He says, hey, forget about who the neighbor you're supposed to love. Who are you a neighbor to? He's saying, do you have the love of Christ in your heart? That's really the question being answered. It's not about who qualifies for your love. It's do you have the love of Christ in you? And the the priest did not have the heart of Christ. He had a ton of religion. He, He had super high moral standards, but he didn't really know God's grace. And here's the thing, people on the outside, people who don't know Christ, looking in on a church, looking in on us as a church, none of them are gonna be blown away by our superior morality, by our religious living. None of them are going to look in and go, wow, those people are amazing. They don't get get smashed drunk every weekend. They they actually think pornography is not a good thing. Every Sunday morning, can you believe it? Rather than sleeping in, they get up to gather together to worship. They're they're not blown away by that. They think it's weird for sure. But moral living isn't blowing our communities away. But listen, radical love will. Will. A love that wells up in your heart because you've been so filled with the love of Christ that it it, it fills you up so much, it begins to spill out everywhere else. Like, Like when you've fully grasped the love of Christ, when you understand that Jesus Christ forgave you, loves you, redeemed you, changed you, accepted you, calls you a son and a daughter of the king. I mean, rivers of joy flow out of you. And you can't turn that tap off when it begins to fill you up. And and our community looking in on our church is not going. Wow, they are super religious. But they will be moved, and lives will be changed, as we live out a radical love. This this amen, amen. This priest here, he was morally knocking it out of the park. You can't get more religious than this priest. But he misses the point altogether. Well, another guy comes along, verse 32, likewise, a Levite. Now, Levite, they, they took care of the temple. They worked in the temple. They, they were super strict about how they practiced their faith. So again, in the story, you're thinking, there's hope. For sure, this guy will stop. But again, verse 32 goes on. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. I mean, they're showing that these religious people really don't have the heart of Christ, really don't know the love of God. They show no love. Now, now don't miss this. When Jesus says, this is what it looks like to live your life on mission, he says that it's more than just religion. Your, your love for Christ, your understanding of how Christ loves you should be spilled out in a radical, active Love. We love the Lord with all we've got, with worship in the word, devoted to each other. And then Jesus now, he shines this this spotlight on the fact that to be a Christ follower also means that you live your life on mission. And he's saying, listen, this kind of life, it's not an option. It's not like, hey, hey, you can follow me and here's some things you can choose from. You can either choose to do this or this. He says, no, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. You read this all over the New Testament that a, a life on mission is this sign of real faith. I mean, imagine, imagine if you will, two trees, one tree full of leaves and, and fruit all over it, and, and another tree with nothing on it at all. No leaves, no fruit, no branches, just this, this, this tree. Wh- which one has life in it? We'd say, well, this one has life. And here's the thing, the fruit doesn't give it life, but the fruit proves that there's life in that tree. A new heart is seen when our lives are lived on mission. Now, I thought of this before. I think I've even mentioned before. Remember the game we used to play when we were kids called Simon Says, right? How they go? When Simon says to do something, you do it. Simon says, touch your head. and You touch your head. Simon says, touch your knees. You touch your knees. When Simon says, do it, you do it. When Simon doesn't say do it, you don't do it. I think we come to church and, and Jesus says is a bit of a different game. When Jesus says do it, when Jesus says go, when Jesus says live your lives like this, we, we, we just really need to be emotionally moved by it. We need to study it, we need to memorize it, we need to talk about it, we need to pray about it, but we don't really need to actually do it. Simon says it's different than Jesus says. I mean, think what if your boss came to you and you're working, you're trying to get things done for the summer because colleges are coming and you're working on a job site, and your boss says, hey, hey, today, finish that deck. He goes away, comes back, and the deck hasn't been touched. He's like, hey, hey what did I ask you to do? You said, hey, finish that deck. I got, I got it memorized. I remember exactly how you said it. We've been memorizing it all day. In fact, you know, Bob here, he looked up what deck means in the Greek. It's amazing. You should hear what it really means. We've been praying about it. And, and then Jimmy, he got out his guitar. We started singing about it. When I survey the wondrous deck, right? It was just beautiful. And I got moved. I came forward and I just was convicted about about lumber, you know? Listen, when Jesus calls us to go out and to make disciples, when Jesus calls us to care for the poor and the broken, when Jesus calls us to love the unlovable, when Jesus calls us to visit the sick and the prisoner, when Jesus calls us to share Jesus, when Jesus calls us to forgive those who have hurt us, what are we doing? I mean, if you just read scripture, if you drop all the religious upbringing, all the baggage we have, if we forget all the Christian culture around us that's so defined how we follow Jesus, if you just read scripture for what it says, and Jesus says, go make disciples, go love your neighbor. Don't just study it, don't just memorize it, don't just pray about it, don't just sing about it, don't just talk about it. I mean, are we doing this as Christ followers? Like if Jesus showed up and said, how are you doing with the job I gave you? Are we stepping out? Are we risking ourselves for the loss in our community? Are people around Muskoka and Perry Sound looking in and saying, man, I see those Christians everywhere. They're loving everyone. They, they, they give more than they get. They forgive freely. They, 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 they love radically. It, it's, it's like they're on some sort of mission to actually risk everything to do what this Bible they say they follow says. Are we risking our lives to live on mission? Here's our second point this morning. It's just this, that that if we are to do this, if we are gonna step out and and truly live out the gospel in our communities, it is going to be risky. A life on mission is risky. Here, the story turns a bit scandalous. Here, Here, when Jesus continues on in the story, the crowd probably would have gasped as he said this. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan... As he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. He went and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out 2 denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, "Take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back." The two religious guys do nothing. They're obeying all the religious duties, but they're missing out on the more important of love and justice and mercy. And then here comes this Samaritan. A Samaritan, the most hated person by the Jews. They would use the word Samaritan as an insult. They would actually pray to God, God, don't forgive the Samaritans. Can you imagine the hatred you would need to pray that? God, forgive me, redeem me, change me, but send all the Samaritans to hell. And what do we see? We see the Samaritan risked everything to help this Jewish man. In mean, verse 33, it says here, it says that he saw him. I mean, as, as we look around in our community, here in our church, and in the community we live, are we seeing the needs? I mean, do, do you see the hurting and loss? Do, are, you, are you risking by, by putting yourself in a place where you would see those hurts? Or are we so insulated that we hide out? We never step out and risk. The first two wouldn't risk. The the priest and the Levite wouldn't risk. They they wouldn't risk ruining their their religious reputation by getting themselves dirty, by by getting mixed up in in some guy who was mixed up with robbers. We're not called to be isolated. We're actually called to be missionaries, to step into tough situations, to step into broken places. To step into people that have made messes of their lives and step in with the hope of the gospel. The Samaritan saw the hurt and, and he didn't just stop there. It's not that he just saw it. Look what it said. He had compassion. It means that his, his, his heart was moved with this deep aching. Like, like, like when you see it, is your heart moved? And more than just an emotional reaction, but you, you see this, you have this kind of compassion and it leads you to action because after he sees it, after he has compassion, he goes on, he goes, I'm taking this guy. I'm putting him on my animal. I'm gonna take him to an inn. I'm gonna pay for everything for him. And he puts his faith into action. And listen, this is risky for us to do. He had already risked his reputation to even stop to be with this guy. Now Now he risks his finances. It's his own resources. It's his wine and his oil. It's his money to, to pay for this guy to stay at the inn. And then he says to the innkeeper, hey, keep him here, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay for his bill. If he empties the minibar, I got it covered. That's what he's saying. Look, like, that's a risk. He risks his safety to even stop. I mean, if he stops to help him, what if the, what if the muggers are still nearby? What if this guy actually was a robber himself and, and they were like taking him out because some deal went bad and they were still there and they didn't want him to be helped? he risks his finances, he risks his safety, he risks his time. Think about it. Don't miss this part of the story. He's going from one place to another. He's on his way. It's not like he was just. I'll go for a leisurely stroll. I will go stroll in the most dangerous road all around. I'm just going to kind of walk. No, he he had a purpose and he stopped and said, I'm going to sacrifice what I was going to do. I'm going to sacrifice my comfort, my schedule, what I was planning, and I'm going to stop and help this person out. The Samaritan risks everything to take care of him. I think for us, we need to keep asking as a church, where are the deepest needs in our community and are we in the middle of it? Because just showing up on Sunday for church, it does fall short. Just coming to worship and go, worship and go, it falls short of what we've been called to do when Christ says, hey, live your life on mission, risk your finances, risk your time, risk your resources, risk your comfort." How do we do that? We do that by by serving here, not not just hanging out, but by serving from looking into our community and saying, hey, hey, where are the deepest needs? How how can I risk to reach out to to meet these needs? How can I risk by reaching out to my neighbor who doesn't know Christ and just share the gospel with him or step into his or her life? That person I go to school with, the person I work with, who's at a loss for answers to an empty life. How do I extend forgiveness to somebody in a dark place to show the love of Christ? I mean, the question we need to ask ourselves, we have to ask all the time, is am I in the place where Jesus would be? Or am I avoiding the person who's wounded and broken? Am I avoiding the person who hurt me and probably did something that I don't agree with, so I'm gonna avoid them? Am I avoiding the dark places because it's gonna cause too much risk? Or am I saying, I wanna be where Jesus would be? I want to put myself in a place where when I jump into this, that I have to say, Jesus, you better show up because if you don't, I have no idea where this is going to go. And we risk. Here's my question. If you're never there, if you're never sharing your faith, if you're never teaching, never discipling, never speaking up, never jumping in, listen, are you really living the life of a follower of Jesus Christ? Don't misunderstand me. doing these things does nothing to, to save you. It doesn't, doesn't put you in a place where now God finds you acceptable. It's only by His grace that this happens. And when you put your hope in Christ, He gives you a new heart, a heart that's filled with the gospel, so changed by the truth, truth that Jesus loves you and forgives you, it overflows in a life that sees beyond today. a life with an eternal purpose. If you have a heart that's, that's so filled with this kind of love, it's gonna risk. Why would you risk? Because you see that Jesus risked for you. So, in reality, when, when we actually think about what this means, it means that it's not actually that much of a risk at all because we can look to Christ and go, You have my life completely in your hands. My eternity is sure and secure. I'm a child of the King of the universe. I have a heavenly father who loves me. And so what can we do? We can risk it all. We can risk our reputation. We can risk our resources because Jesus has given it all. I mean, the lawyer at the end of the story, I mean, Jesus says this, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So he's doing there. He's not saying, he's not saying, was this guy a neighbor who should be loved? He's saying, which one of these proved to be the neighbor? The lawyer couldn't even say Samaritan. He was so upset, but he says, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, This you go and do likewise. Go beyond mission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. And say, God, put me in the path of those who I can risk my life for to show them the same love I've been shown. It starts with a changed heart. It has to begin there. And there's there's huge power in that though. When we start to live out the truth of what we say, when we talk about Jesus being full of grace and love and mercy, when we start living that out, listen, it changes our world. It's when the world sees that, they look in and say, man, what makes these people so crazy generous? How can they give so much? You know, one of the last Roman emperors who was persecuting the church, a guy by the name of Julian, he was trying so hard to stamp out Christianity in the first century, and he said this. He says, nothing has contributed, no minute, this is a guy from the outside looking in. Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstitions of these Christians and their ch- as their charity to strangers. They provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. If you say, hey, hey, Julian, What gives these Christians power? What is it about about the church that's changing the world? And and, and listen, he didn't say it's the worship, although they were worshipers because they had to be for for them to live this out. He didn't say it was their, their unity and fellowship, although they had to have that. They had to be linked arm in arm for the risk they were taking. The only thing he saw was he looked around and he would have seen, well, the Jews take care of the Jewish poor. The Greeks take care of the Greek poor. The Romans take care of the Roman poor. But man, this church, these Christians, they take care of themselves and then they take care of everybody else. As we think about this, as we think about what it is to live our life on mission, we have to to go here. This is our last point this morning. We have to ask this, what creates this kind of love? What fuels this in our hearts? It has to be something deeper than guilt. You you can't hear a a sermon like this. You can't read scripture and and guilt won't take you far enough. One more thing to do. I guess I got to sign up for another ministry. I guess I got to do one more thing. I guess I got to forgive that person. I guess I got to love that person. Listen, without a true, deep, eternal motivation, we will burn out on this so fast. So what's the fuel? Here's our last point. A life on mission is fueled by the gospel. It's fueled by the gospel. It begins in knowing that we are loved by Jesus. The Samaritan here, he wasn't guilted into it. He had no legal obligation to stop. He had no moral obligation to stop. He had no cultural obligation to stop. No one would have expected the Samaritan to stop. Why did he stop? Verse 33 says he was filled with compassion. He he was deeply moved. In fact, that word used for compassion there, it's most normally all throughout the New Testament. It's it's usually used to talk about the emotion of Jesus Christ. So what's he saying here? The Samaritan was moved with the compassion of Jesus. Here's the point. When we read the story of the good Samaritan, I think when you read stories in scripture, you're kind of like, where do I fit in this story? And most often time we hear stories, we like to put ourselves in the position of the hero. So we would read that story and say, oh, I would be the good Samaritan, that's that's me. Well, the reality of the story that Jesus is telling here is that you and I aren't the Samaritan in this story. You and I are the the person who's been beaten up, poor, naked, left for dead on the side of the road. That's who we are in the story. We are spiritually bankrupt. And then Jesus comes in and he gave up everything for us risked everything for us. What what fuels a a kind of wild-eyed, radical, I'm all out for Jesus living this way to set the world on fire, to live out a risky kind of love? Listen, it's, it's not when we start to see ourselves as good people doing good deeds for God. It's when we recognize that we were sinners with nothing to offer. And while we were his enemy, Christ died for us gave up his life for us to give us his righteousness, rose again to give us new hearts. That's the good news. That's what fuels a life on mission. We love because Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sake. I mean, think about it. We can say this, well, no, no, man, I'm not doing this because my money's my own. Imagine Jesus saying, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Where would we be if, if Jesus said that? Ooh, we could say, yeah, but yeah, but you can't ask me to go out and serve wicked people who, who haven't earned it. And Jesus could have said, I'm only going to give to those who are good and deserving. Listen, we would all be lost. We, we could say, but if I give, if I actually serve in this way, I don't know if I'm going to be appreciated I mean, Jesus knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise his sacrifice, that that many would make it an excuse to sin even more, and yet he still gave his own blood. I mean, it's the gospel that that gives us this heart of Christ, the, the heart that gives much, the heart that loves much, the heart that forgives much, the heart that gives freely to the messed up, the thankless, the undeserving, the broken... Don't don't, don't let it be guilt that drives you this. Don't don't let it be, well, we're doing this campaign and we're we're trying to raise funds and people so we don't know. That's not what should drive us. It's the gospel that drives us. It's the grace of God that drives us. That we'd be a church that pursues God with our whole heart. That we would know him. We would know his word. We'd be worshiping. We'd be desperate in prayer. We'd be devoted to each other and we'd be on mission. Jesus says, listen, I, I, I came to turn the world upside down and I came to give my life for you and I've called you to do the same. As the worship team comes up this morning, listen, here's the thing, as a church, we, we may never be known as, as spiritual giants As a church, we might always look messy and immature and and making mistakes and not having all our ducks in a row. We might always have difficulties as a group of people trying to work this thing out together, but the command isn't become super spiritual elites. The command is this. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me with your whole heart. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're after as a church. And that we can recognize that, that everything else, everything else doesn't matter. There's, this is what's eternal. That if we get our heads wrapped around the fact that, man, there are things we can do that last for eternity, it frees us up from grabbing hold of, of our stuff. It frees us up from the anxiety and the stress that we have in our money, in our stuff, in our reputation, in our comfort, in our retirement, in our kids. In all that begins to... to drift out of sight as we open our hands up and lay it to the Lord and say, God, it's yours. I mean, that's what we're after. That's what we're fighting for. And so we're gonna call ourselves, we're gonna call each other, hey, let's live this out together. Let's live out the gospel and how we live and love and care and sacrifice and give and serve, how we serve here at the church how we grab each other in our small groups and say, hey, hey, let's not just always do Bible studies. Let's do Bible doings as well. Like, let's get out of the small group. Let, let's go serve our community. Let's go see what we can do to see the gospel turn our communities upside down. So my, my call to you is this, that this summer, that if you call Harvest Home, that you take this summer to pray and to fast and say, Lord, how do you want us as a family? How do you want me as a person to be invested? Lord God, what do you want me to sacrificially and joyfully give to the mission? Lord God, how do you want me to be involved? I'm so excited as we as we launch out another campus. And I'm not excited because, oh wow, look how big we are. Look, look at the stuff we're doing. I'm excited because I believe with all my heart that it helps us to be more effective and efficient with the gospel in our communities. That more people can hear the good news. more people can can see the love of Christ more clearly and and hearts be filled with the love and grace of Christ and it overflows into lives that that now, now risk everything, risk everything so that we can be free and so others can hear this good news. God, would you please stir that up in our hearts? Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning is just this. Lord Jesus, that we would see you more clearly. That we would see your grace so clearly that it would overflow out of our lives. That we would understand the gospel so deeply that we wouldn't cling to horizontal things any longer. We would see them as gifts to enjoy and gifts to use for the mission you've called us to. Lord Jesus, we know that the the call is clear. It's, It's not confusing. You called us to go. So God, I pray that as we we gather together, as we pray and fast and seek your face and and Lord, how do you want us to do this? Lord, what would it look like? Lord, Lord, what would it look like for me to increase my investment? What would it look like for me to increase my involvement for the sake of the gospel, for your glory and for the good of others? God, that as a church, we'd be on our knees desperate in prayer together. We'd be so devoted to each other, caring for each other, and that our eyes would be set to eternity to live our lives with an eternal purpose, to see more people changed, more people transformed, and that Jesus, you would use us to do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.